to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? We, we did go to the, uh, the men's retreat, and it was, it was cool. It was great. It was up at Big Bear. And what stood out to me is these guys were up there, no fronts. I loved it. They were just kind of down to earth, transparent, open. It was, a, it was a great blessing. And there was a portion of the service on Saturday night. I think Pastor Ron's the one that introduced it. And he said, if you were never affirmed by a father, by your dad, never told, hey, I'm proud of you, I love you, I want you guys to come up. And it was Saturday night, and we were all up front. The pastors were all up front, and we were going to be kind of like in proxy for their dads. And I remember I went up there, and, man, I hugged so many men. And one guy fell on my neck, and he just cried and cried. And a big guy, big, strong guy. Because I told him, hey, bro, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And, you know, the reason I can do that is I was fortunate. My, my dad did that to me in a, in a time where I doubted myself, a time where I, it was a, it was a crucial time where he came over and he kind of told me in Spanish, he says, you have what it takes and I'm proud of you. And it was really, really important. And, and I passed that on to my boys. My boys were both here this morning for service. I, t- I have told them the same. I'm proud of you guys. I love you guys. And they reciprocate that. And, you know, that surprised me. You know, we had a man cave a couple of years ago where my boys were just really bragged on me, and they were just, and it surprised me because I was a disciplinarian. I was tough on my kids, and, and they didn't always like it, but now they look back and say, that was the best, Dad. That was the best thing you did for us. I want to tell a story real quick, <clears throat> and for the sake of, of illustrating the point, I'm going to give these people names. It's a Hector and Elena. <laughs> And this boy wants to surprise his girlfriend, and, and it's their first prom, so he goes and buys himself a corsage, her a boutonniere. And he goes to the flower shop, and there's a big, long, huge line. Okay, it's prom night. It's to be expected. And while he's waiting in line, he thinks, you know what, I, I want to look good. I want to look good for the prom, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get me a tux. So I'm going to go to Tuxedo Junction and, and go get me a tux. And, and he goes over to Tuxedo Junction, and what does he encounter? A long line. Okay, it's, it's prom night. It's to be expected. And then when he's sitting there waiting, he, uh, he thinks to himself, you know what? I worked hard all summer. I want to go in class. I, I want to get a limo. I'm going to rent me a limo. So he goes to the limo place. And what does he encounter? A long line. Okay, it's to be expected. It's, it's prom night. And then so he picks up his date, and they're both looking good. He's got this baby blue tux, and he's looking sharp and... and and, and Elena's all dressed up, and my wife still looks good. How old do you guys think she is? Somebody tell No, just playing. Don't say it. <laughs> and once they get in, the, it's, it's, they go to Foothill. That's where they, who went to Foothill here? 
Yeah. Oh, look at all those Foothill people. Awesome. They go to Foothill, the cafeteria. That's where the prom's at. And what do they encounter? Long line. But once they get in, the DJ starts playing this old school jams and, and, and music and, and, and Hector's up there dancing and <laughs> doing the lawnmower. You guys ever do the lawnmower, the sprinkler? What happens if the lawnmower doesn't work? You go, <laughs> kick it. And then the music slows down, man, and the, the DJ plays this earth, wind, and fire. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You guys remember that song? Da-da-da-da-da. How many of you guys remember that song? And he, and he gets romantic, and it gets slow, and, and he gets his first kiss, and, and it's all nice. And, and then the music starts up again, and, and Elena's dancing like Salinas, dancing like hard, and thinks she's the Mexican Donna Summer, and... And then he tells his girlfriend, hey, I'm thirsty, I'm sweaty, I'm hot, and do you want some to drink? So he goes over to their serving the punch, and there's no punchline. None. No punchline. I love my Bible. I love it. I love the old, I love the new. It's inspired, all of it. Paul said it's, it's all of it is God-breathed. You know what that means? God breathed on these men that wrote these, the, the, the passages, the books. God breathed on them. They didn't come up with this on their own. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. And I love all of it. The obscure, I love the old, I love the new. And I, I heard recently that a pastor of a mega church, he says, I don't adhere to the old. The old is just as valuable. The old, I mean, the old, I, I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 22 today, and it's about Abraham. And I, I want to go to that. If we can go to that, and I'm going to pray first, though. Lord, I pray this, God, very specifically, that today everyone here will, will come away with something, something with substance, something that they could hold on to, something that will give them hope and encourage them during the week, Lord. So I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will do that, will dispense of that, Lord. Help me feel free to deviate from my notes, but use me today to encourage the body here at Valley Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's Genesis chapter 22, and it came about, let me find it here. It came about, I'm going to read it out of my Bible. <clears throat> came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said it pretty loud. He said it pretty clear. And Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder. And we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two, of them, two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. 
And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him there on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, exclamation point there, guys. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For I, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And there's a really interesting word in verse 2 where it says, now. Now. It says, now. Um, Take now. And the word in the original Hebrew messianic translation is please. I thought that was really interesting. It's please. Here God is being polite. This is a real difficult thing he's asking them to do. And in the Old Testament, when you look at passages like this, and that's why these guys are, talk about, you know, kind of like don't want to adhere to the, to the old, it, 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 there's this potential for God to get a bad rap, the Father to get a bad rap. I mean, here he's asking him you know, to do something very tough, and he sounds harsh. But nah, in the Hebrew means please, please. He's being polite. The Lord's being polite. And the word expresses compassion. It brings a soothing effect to the command. In Spanish, it's por favor. Let's sound like, do me a favor, kind of. Por favor, you know. Uh, and if you can picture this, God, you know, in your mind, God the Father coming alongside Abraham, putting his arm around him. He said, hey, just trust me. Please, trust me, you know. Get, please, he prefaces it, prefaces it with a please, this command. And he also says it in Genesis 15, where he says, now, please go outside. Look at the stars in the heaven. Look at all the stars, the Milky Way. So shall your de descendants be. Be too innumerable to count. He says, please, please, take your son, your only begotten son. Just trust me. And then God introduces a word there. I don't know if you guys caught it. It's in verse 2. If anybody can tell me that word, I'll give you a big buck or a hug after service. But there's a word there. It's introduced for the first time in the Bible. Love. And what was, it, what was the context there? And what is this, what's the rule, the rule of first mention? It tells you that that's how that word is to be used. You know, how it's to be used. It sets a precedent on how that word is to be used throughout the rest of the Bible. It's the highest form of love. The love of a father toward a son. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The love is, it's not a, a husband toward a wife or a wife toward a husband. It's funny, that's not mentioned there. Or a son to a father or a daughter to a mother. It's a father toward his son. But the, the, the highest form of love is God's love toward us. That's what it is. And it's obvious, man. 
that's obviously pointing to the cross. You know, the, the, the Jewish people who don't adhere to the New Testament say, hey, we don't, you know, we don't adhere to that. I mean, I don't know how you cannot see Jesus in that passage. Genesis 22, I don't know how you can't see. The parallels are, are so, so, there's so many. The cross is right there. It's obviously talking about John 3.16, no doubt. And, but he says now, nah. I use that word a lot. I don't know if you guys are teaching your kids to use that word or teaching your kids manners, but it's really important that we teach our kids. Use the word please, thank you. I think it's kind of like, I don't think it's that common out there in the world. Little kid, kids aren't saying thank you. I'm going, what are you going to say? I gave somebody something the other day. I'm going, I was waiting like, okay, what? thank you. And nothing. And I'm going, wow. But I, I, we, we must teach our kids. But here in, in, this, in this context here, God is bringing in a soft, please. And there's a time of preparation here. That brings me to my first point. Because it says in chapter, I mean, verse 2, it says, oh, the first one, it says, now it came about after these things. And I like to look at that. What things is he talking about? What things? Abraham and Sarah, what they went through. The, the, the time of rest, the time of peace, time of training, time of preparation. They, they had waited for decades, almost a century, 80 years. They waited for that one thing that kept eluding, their, kept eluding them. What was that one thing that kept eluding them? A son, a baby. Here they, they, they were barren. And, and, and sometimes there's a stigma. When, when people are barren, there's a stigma there. And the Jewish, that culture would look down on people. Not God, but the people would, they would the culture would look down on people. Say, well, you must have done something wrong. You know, you look at the best people, the best people in the Bible, the Baptist parents, Elizabeth and, and Zacharias, Hannah, Abraham and Sarah. These are the best people, the most godly people. And yet they were barren. It had nothing to do with, with, with whether they were out of favor with, with, with God or not. Life isn't fair. It just happens. And they bore the stigma. And then when, when God came to Abraham and told him, hey, by next year, by next year you're going to have a baby. What did Sarah do? You guys remember? She went, yeah, right. She laughed. It was a scoffing laugh. Like, yeah, me? Soy viejita. That means old. Yeah, soy viejita. I mean, I'm 90 years old. How, how? And my viejito? And then she even says, shall I have pleasure at this point? Shall we have pleasure at this point? Are we going to enjoy each other? <laughs> That's crazy. And then that laughter. When Isaac was born, that laughter changed from a scoffing laugh to a, laugh, a laughter of happiness, a laughter of joy, a laughter of fulfillment. It was neat, man. It's like when, when my boys were born, when my grandchildren were born, it was a, such a, a hearty, happy laughter. And that's what Isaac's name meant, laughter. And it encourages me. This, this passage really encourages me, this story, because I just turned 62 Wednesday, and even now, yeah, thank you. But, but even now, my wife and I, we can be prosperous. We can be productive. We can be fruitful. 
Just think if she got pregnant, it would be like a miracle, man. That would be a real miracle. be immaculate. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually. As I get older, I say, you know what? I refuse to stagnate. I want to continue to be fruitful. I want to continue to impact people, continue to disciple people. I want to continue to grow, continue to change. And I, and I think about that wedding at Cana, the wine. Remember that wine at, in Cana? Jesus turned the water into wine. And, and then the mater d' went to the, the groom and he says, you know what, this, this thing is, it, it intrigues me, what you've done here. You, 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 most people serve the good stuff, the potent stuff at first, and then they, they serve the diluted. You save the best for last. And that's what God has done for us, for me, for the pastors here. Serve, save the best for last. And for Abraham and Sarah, you know, Elizabeth and, and Zacharias, he went out of his way to bless these people. And, and so God was preparing Abraham and Sarah during that time of peace. It was a time of preparation for the worst storm that they would ever face in their lives. It's the worst storm, you know, they would ever face. Do you ever fear what God will bring into your life or allow into your life? Do you guys ever fear that? I mean, fear has been really, it's been a real thing, especially around this, this, this pandemic deal. It's been real. And I have been stalked by fear since I was a little kid. I've struggled with fear since I was in eighth grade. And I had some trauma when I was younger. And you know what? The best way to overcome fear is to keep facing it and facing it and facing it and facing it and not let it intimidate you and not let it paralyze you. Yeah, I kept facing it. And you know, the more I face it, the more it dissipates. The more, it goes, the more it goes away. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Paul said that. But a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Do you catch what he's saying there? It's a spirit. It's a demon. Sometimes it stalks you and intimidates you and tries to keep you from God's best. And John Wayne had this, <laughs> this quote. He's a great theologian, John Wayne. He said, courage is being afraid and saddling up anyway. Being afraid, but saddling up anyway. And especially during this time, guys, and like I said, as I got older, I said, you know what, enough is enough. So don't fear today what, you may, what God may bring you to mañana. Don't fear it. You know, don't be afraid. And sometimes you read this stuff, you, you say, I can never do what God asked Abraham to do. I, I don't have that kind of faith. But you know what? God is preparing the blessing for you. Just as he prepared the blessing for Abraham. You know, he passed that test. After he passed that test, God blessed him with a great reward. There's a little plant. It's a stunted plant. It loved being in the shade of this giant oak tree. And one day the woodsman came and, and started chopping down the tree. And the little plant said, oh, no, all my strength, my protection will be gone. The weather and the rain is going to just hammer me. Now the winds will blow me down. And then the, woman, the woodsman said, no, not so. Now the sun will shine on you like never before. Now the rain will fall on you like never before. And now you will grow like never before and not be stunted. The blessings of God lead to blessings. 
I lost my parents. Um, my dad last September, my mom about four years ago. And my parents were like that oak tree. You know, they, they're a symbol, a symbol of stability, a symbol of, of shade, a symbol, symbol of strength. And I noticed something, my brother and I, that the covering was gone. Um, my parents would pray for us. Even when we were rebellious, even before Christ, my parents were praying for us. But that prayer coverage was gone. There was a void there. And so you know what I decided to do? It's that, that marine motto, adapt, improvise, overcome. And I said, we're going to start praying, Lena. We will, we will be the prayer coverage over our families. I'm not going to sit back and, and be afraid and, 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 and sit back and feel sorry. for. We will start be the ones praying. We will be that oak tree for our families. And God will prune us to make us more fruitful. He's a wise farmer. So in Genesis 22, the, the first one is, is preparation training, the first, the first phase of Abraham's testing. The second phase is the test itself, the test, the exam. And it says that, that the word for, for test in the Greek is nasah, or in Hebrew it's nasah, to prove the value, the quality, the worth of something. The King James says tempt, and that's a poor translation because it doesn't jive with the rest of the Bible. Who tempts? Who tempts us, guys? Yeah, yeah, the, 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 that guy, that punk, the, the devil. The devil tempts. God tests to bring out the best in us. Satan tempts to, to bring out the worst. Satan tempts to entice. God tests to make us, to make us, to make us stronger. And sometimes you wonder, am I being tempted or tested? You know, hardship will come in and you ask the Lord, okay, what, is this from hell or is this you, Lord, trying to put me in a good position, put, put me in your will? What is going on? I think about Joseph. Joseph in the Bible, he, he's one of my heroes. And he was a great example, a classic example of one who passed his test. And there was this one thing that stood out to me about him. There was an underlying theme in his life. No matter what was going on, no matter what hardships were going on in his life, what does it say? But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you guys too. God is with you guys too. As long as you reciprocate that, as long as you're with him. But the Lord, God was always working things out for his good. And what I admire about him was the temptation thing. He never gave in to it. The sexual thing, he never gave in to it. That guy stayed pure. I admire that about him. When, when the timing, I, I looked at the timing. It says, when, when did the devil come at him? When he was in the dungeon? When he was at his lowest? No. After he had prospered in Potiphar's house, after he had been promoted, when he was successful, when he was doing well, that lady came on to him, that old cougar, that desperate housewife. That, she must have been fine looking, but she came at him. Hey, hey, bed me down. Come on, Joe, bed me down. What did he say? No, I'm not going to do this against my master. Or even more importantly, I'm not doing this against God. <laughs> and then one day she comes at him and she's aggressive. She's bored and she's aggressive, just like the devil, aggressive. And what does he do? He runs out of, he runs out of his clothes. He run out, runs out to the street in his calzones, man. He's out there in his underwear, man. <laughs> and that's what we've got to do, guys, men and women. 
This used to be, just used to be guys, but women too. Somebody's coming on to you, sometimes you just got to run. Don't try and stand up to it. Sometimes it's too strong. It's stronger than you. What did Paul say? Flee. Flee immorality. Run from it. I told the guys up at the, up at the, uh, at the retreat, I said, guys, there's times where you've got to run. You've got to run. And then you regroup. You run away from it, and you regroup, and you come up with a plan. You lay down some safeguards so that you will be success, successful. What's some of the safeguards? Take the internet off this thing. <laughs> or put a password on your computer at the house that only your spouse knows. You know, do those kind of things. Have a plan. But Joseph passed all his tests. And, and I think Paul was thinking of him when he wrote Romans 8.28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, he was thinking about Joseph. So um, how do you know if your faith's for real? Expose it to heat. You know, it's easy to say, oh, I love the Lord when things are going well, when your health is good, when your finances are good, but you test that person and then see what they do. And from time to time, God will do that. God has done that to me, you know, not tempt, but to prove the quality, to nassaw me. Um, I've done many weddings. I've been here 29 years as a pastor. I've done many, many weddings. And, I, and it's interesting, the young ones, the young couples are the, the, the funniest. They're the, the most entertaining. As I'm talking to them about the, the vows, you know, all they hear is the, the, the good, uh, the better, the richer, you know, the, 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 they're thinking about the reception. They're thinking about the honeymoon. <laughs> the test of love comes later. The reality comes later. The disenchantment comes later. The, the, the money issues come later. The health issues come later. That's a true test of love. That's how you know if your love is for real. In, in the premarital meetings, I, I set up with them. I'll, I'll talk to them and and I'm having a little fun with them, but I'm also being real. I say, you guys ever fight? Nah. Nah, we never fight. Really? You ever see her in a bad mood? No. Nah. Hmm. You ever see him mad? No. Well, wait. Wait. Give it a little bit. You, you'll see it. And, and they say, you know, he's my knight in shining, shining armor. Someday your prince will come. And I like to introduce the rings. You got the, the engagement ring. You're, you're engaged. You're going to get married pretty soon. That's good. And then you have the wedding ring. You're committed to one another. You know, you're getting married, and it's great. And then you have the boxing ring. <laughs> conflict is inevitable. No, right? How many of you guys agree with me? Yeah, yeah. But conflict is going to come. You got two different personalities. Two different people. And then you got the fourth ring, suffering. <laughs> and I'm not making fun of them. And I'm not laughing at them. But I'm setting them up. And I say, you know what? You just do the vertical. You just love God. You do that royal law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You do that. Then you'll be able to love one another like you should. You're born again. You guys don't believe in divorce. You will make it. You will make it. You will make it through the storms if God is first. So God trusts Abraham. 
or God tests Abraham and he touches the most sensitive, the most delicate nerve in his life. Think about all of God's promises for Israel, for Abraham are all tied up in this boy and his son, all wrapped up in Isaac. And we know it's a test. How do we know? It says it right there. But did Abraham know? No. These men and people of God, they didn't know. They didn't get this warning like, uh, uh, uh. this is the emergency, emergency broadcasting company. This is only a test. This is only a test. It just showed up. Right? It just showed up. And it was a test. And he hears this. The pain is unimaginable. He's grieved. He's not laughing. This isn't funny. That's Isaac's name. Laughter. And his heart is shattered. How old were they? She was 90. He was 100. They can't pop out, pop out another kid just like that. Isaac was their miracle baby. And he's probably thinking, why bother with this miracle if you're going to ask me to kill him? Seems like God's unraveling all that he's done to fulfill his promises to Abraham. But it's a test. And what is God testing him? He says, who do you love more, Abraham? Me or your son? And we all have Isaacs, guys. It could be our stuff, our things. It could be this. You know, you love your phone, your iPhone. You know, it could be, I have a bike. I have a bicycle. It's a, it's, it's, I, it's a Trek Domani. It's carbon fiber. It's really nice. It's got carbon fiber wheels. And the greatest benefit is to my health. It helps me physically and also mentally. It helps unclutter my mind. I mean, it's really good for Pastor Hector to have this bicycle. And my wife the other day gave me a, she gave me, she gave me a little uh, uh, check. She said, you know, I, you're liking your bike a little too much. And I go, well, why are you saying that? Because it's, it's, the handlebars are poking me in bed. You, you, I just bought it. You know, I just, I can't, it's right here. I'm not putting it in the garage. Hey, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but it could be your, your hobbies. Or it could be a person, your spouse, your, your grandchildren, your parent. Or it could be your position. How do you view yourself? How do you identify yourself? This is how I see myself. I'm Hector Rizzo. I'm a child of God. First. First. Second. I pastor at Valley Bible Fellowship. I'm not Pastor Hector. That's not, I don't tie my whole identity in that. I'm first. I'm the apple of God's eye. I got to establish that first. So my wife and I, we had a, a, a very, very rough beginning. She, her pregnancy, I mean, it changed the trajectory of our lives. We weren't married. We were in thinking marriage. It's part of our testimony. And it was a hardship back in the 80s. And it had a negative stigma. And, and I used to be kind of ashamed of it, you know, how, how we came to God. And then I realized as I told my story that, that it was helping people. And it did have redemptive value because we were able to help others who were in the same predicament. And then God worked everything out for our good. And, I, and I'm, I, I, my son, I love my, you know, when he came into this world, man, out of hindsight, it was the greatest blessing. And God knew what, it, what I needed to come to my senses, to, to get me to, to, to repent and to turn from my sin. God knew, you know, what I needed to surrender my heart to Jesus. But I remember in 84, Elena always loved me. There was never any doubt about it. 
I was the one that wavered. I was the one that vacillated because I'm a man. I'm a perro, kind of like, before Christ. It was before Christ. Dog, that's what it means in Spanish. And I bailed on her. She told me she was with pregnant. I got, bye, I got to go. And, but when she told me something, I remember it. She goes, if you don't think I'm the best for you, us, if you don't think I'm the best, she hadn't had the baby yet, if you don't think I'm the best, then go. And you know what she did, guys? She didn't call me. She didn't write me. She didn't send me any smoke signals. Nada. Nada. She had so much dignity, so much strength. She's old school, Mexican. That's what these old school Mexican women do. They're good. And you know what she did ultimately? She said, I lay you on the altar. I trust God. I'm going to lay you there. And whether we're to be, get together or not, that's up to God. And you guys, if you have relational issues, that's maybe what you need to do. Lay that person on the altar. Put them right there. Put your Isaac right there. And don't go back and get them until God tells you. What did Jesus say about relationships? Look at Matthew 10, 37. It says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He says, the love you have for God should supersede the love you have for your family. The first, first phase of Abraham's testing is the training. The second is the test itself. The third is the compliance. Is the compliance. And we, we, we put the brakes on here. Abraham's response seems to be prompt. I love it. It says the next day, on the next day, verse 3, where Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. The next day, the dude was on the road. He didn't go pray about it. He didn't con con um, consult Sarah. He just went. His obedience was immediate. And nothing is said about his emotions. He, he probably didn't sleep. Any parent who has to go through something like that, you know, and he's probably thinking, you know, God, you, you said, I don't understand. <laughs> he never says that. But he says, you, my descendants will be like the Milky Way. What, what am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to tell Sarah when I come back and, about the God that we love and tr trust? What am I going to tell her when he's not here, that he's no longer alive? And verse 5 says, he told his young men, stay. And we, it's plural, stay. We will come back to you. How could he say that? He had faith. According to Josephus, Isaac was about 25. He wasn't a little kid. He was a man. And Abraham made a reasoned calculation based on God's character. Look at Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It is he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendants, shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. A type. A type of what? A type of Christ. Even back then. But the word considered. In the Greek, it's logizo mahi. Logizo mahi. He considered. He, he concluded to logically calculate. To logically think through. To reason. Here as he's climbing Mount Moriah, he's thinking, okay, is God, number one, is he fickle? I mean, he's asking me to do something crazy. He, I, don't think, I don't know if I could trust him. 
You know, why would he do this? Give me a promised child and then ask me to kill him? Or is he faithful? I'm opting for number two, that he's faithful. God, if I plunge a knife into him, God will do another miracle. He'll raise him from the dead because he is the son of the promise. So here's the application. When you guys are going through something and it's illogical, get theological. Go to your word. Go to, go to God's track record with you. God is always, he'll, he, he's always taking care of you. He's always faithful. But go to your word. And here's an interesting side note. Isaac was also compliant. But where did he learn that from? His dad, seeing Abraham. There's a story of a Pastor Ron told at a funeral years ago. And a young boy is caught in a fire. It's a two-story building. And the fire is behind him. And there's smoke all over the place. And the dad was below him. And the window was open. And the dad was telling his son, urgently, urgently telling him, please, nah, jump. The little boy was five or something like that. Please, but I can't see you, daddy. I can't see you. It doesn't matter. I, I can see you. And that's God. Even though sometimes we can't see him, God can see us. We're going through trials. We're going through some hard stuff. And then the boy did something based on his calculations on who he knew his dad to be, what he was like. He trusted him. He logizo mahid him. And he jumped. And, God, and his dad was there to catch him. And then verse 5 says, we will go on and worship yonder. It's like he's talking to Jethro Bodine and Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. I would say turn your worst times into times of worship. Turn your worst times. So the first one is training. The second one is testing. The third is compliance. The last is anticipating, expectancy, to have your confidence of fulfillment. You know, what, what did God do? What did God do for, for Abraham? He sent an angel. He stopped him. His hand was like this. His rear back like that, about to stab his son. He stopped. Now I know. Now I know, Abraham, you love me. Now I know you fear me. Now I know that he, you are, I am first in your life, above your son. Now I know. Don't lay your hand on the, the lad. The Lord will provide. And what happened with Abraham and Isaac is pointing to, like I said, a future event. Preview of coming attractions. It's talking about the cross. Jesus was that knowing Isaac. It was a prophetic experience. We can't help but notice the parallels. The parallels will blow your mind. I love the parallels. Number one, they're so powerful. Isaac was a miracle baby. Mom was 90, dad was 100. Jesus was a miracle baby, born from a teenage virgin. Isaac promised long before he was born. Jesus promised long from eternity past, promised to us. Isaac was named before he was born. Jesus was named before he was born. What did he tell Abraham? Take now your son, your only son. Jesus was God's only begotten son. The father's only begotten son. Isaac allowed himself to be bound. Like I said, he was about 25. He submitted to it. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. Nobody took his life. What did he say? I lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. Talking about the resurrection. Then you got Mount Moriah, the mount. It's Temple Mount. In, in, in Jerusalem. We've been there before. 
at our, our tours. And that's where, where Solomon built the temple. And if you go to the north of the temple area where the hill comes to a peak or pinnacle, that is called Calvary. That is called Golgotha. And that's where Jesus was, was crucified. God is so precise. God is so powerful, so incredible, so amazing. Then on the, verse 4, on the third day, it was a three-day journey. You know, Jesus was, was raised on the third day. The wood would play, would play, was placed on Isaac's back. Jesus took the wood on his back, the cross beam. And then the similarity stops. There is no ram. There's no substitute. God followed through what Abraham only contemplated. And all the angels marveled. They go, man, this guy must really love God. How a man could love God and be willing, be willing to give up his one and only son. And then all of heaven was stunned at how God could love us and did give up his one and only son. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross to my trophies at last I lay down. And I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. I'd like to go ahead and have the prayer team come up. The prayer team come up. And if you're not born again, we have packets up here. We'd love to pray for you. Yeah, don't rush off. Fellowship a little bit. If you need prayer, please come up and, and get prayer. I, I love you guys, and I hope you guys have a good week. I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, help us to see you as a heavenly Father who tenderly, lovingly cares for us. You love us, God. And even when we, you ask us to do something challenging, something difficult, something hard, we have to remember. Remember that you say, please. Remember that softness. Remember that. That soothes us. Remember, God. Let us never, never, never lose our appreciation for you, God, for your love, for your goodness, for your sacrifice on Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our love.